Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. As I was packing everything up, my kids kept saying, Daddy, 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 like, can we open those goldfish? Why are you giving everything to Uncle Chickenbird? That's that's their <laughs> nickname for Jay, Uncle Chickenbird. <laughs> Just like, why does Uncle Chickenbird get all this? Well, you know, I think my neck's still sore because I have to act like a chicken bird, <laughs> which is a bird, and thus jerk my head around and, and pretend I'm pecking food and all this stuff. I'm feeling a little, <laughs> a little kink from the last trip. <laughs> You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I was so excited to get back on the mic with my good pal, Travis Sherry from Extra Pack of Peanuts. We co-hosted a podcast called Location Indie a while ago, and that was a community I was involved with for a long time, a wonderful community. And he's back. We're back on the mics together to fill you in on a recent trip we took to Bulgaria. I thought this would be fun to cover since we were fresh back from the trip about eight days and Bulgaria really is an up-and-coming sort of nomad remote work hotspot. A lot of people spending some quality time in Bulgaria, great prices. I don't want to spoil too much of it because we're going to talk all about our experience in Bulgaria. Again, just an eight-day trip, but enough to kind of share some impressions with you, perhaps give you a new destination to consider visiting if you haven't done so yet. And on top of that, put a little list together of five reasons why group travel rocks. Now, we give a lot of love to solo travel on this show. Thought we would talk about group travel since we're fresh off of this trip. It was 19 of us together and thought we'd share some of the highlights there and why you might want to consider a group trip on your next trip. That can be with a tour operator, of course. That can be something that you organize yourself with a large group of friends or extended friends or your network. And although that sounds overwhelming, maybe to some, it really gives you some advantages. And we're going to share some of those today. So I hope you enjoy it. This was a fun one to record and you can stick around in the back end. I'm going to share my number one tip if you're planning a big group trip. The number one thing 
you should do. And also, before we get into this, I do want to mention Camp Indie coming up. It's an event I was involved with last year. If you go to campindie.com, you can check it out. It's an adult summer camp, awesome speakers. I can't go this year because I have my mom visiting from America here in Norway where I live to see the grandkids and all that. Wish I could go, but you should go. Check it out. It's a wonderful event, and you can, uh, of course, go on the website and read all about it there. Now, let's get into my conversation with the wonderful Travis Sherry, and I will see you on the other side. We're getting the band back together. I guess you could say the, the, right? the band of two, the band of two. Yes. The band, band of, brothers. of two, not band of horses, not band of brothers, the band of two. I am on the line with Travis Sherry. You may recognize his voice from such podcasts as location indie and extra pack of peanuts. And of course, location indie, we co-hosted together for a long time. And now we are back. On the mics together for the first time, reunited, and it feels so good. Clearly, I'm not the singer for for the band I play in here. Anyway, Trav, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. It's been too long. Thank you. Uh, If it's a band of two and you're not the singer, that means I'm the singer, and I think we're in even worse shape. So uh, we got got to figure this out. Maybe it's just instrumental, but I, I I don't play an instrument either, so... Um, we, what about that harmonica <laughs> I gave you? Uh, my, my five-year-old sounds as good as I do. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Um, yeah, we got, we're in some trouble here. If, if we're doing a band, we're in some trouble. <laughs> well, we have a lot to cover today because we were just on a trip together and we can talk about why that was extra sweet. I think for us to give you a sense of the type of guy Travis is and his wife, Heather, who was also on the trip, they showed up with a giant bag full of American snacks for me, I got something I didn't even know existed, which I've already hammered down, the goldfish crackers with Frank's hot red sauce. Absolutely delicious. Multiple bags that of goldfish crackers. Noted. Cheez-Its, uh, peanut butter cups, like the big cups that you can't get here. Just awesome stuff. So thank you, man. I'm still enjoying that. And we think about you guys every day. And my kids are enjoying it as well. They're, they're just crushing snacks, so... <laughs> I can't believe it's lasted this long. Uh, you know, if that was in our house, I, that stuff would have been gone in the first couple of days. So good on you for either hiding them from the kids or your kids having a little bit of willpower and discretion. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, listen. Let's not go like overboard, Trav. I mean, they wanted to open every box at once. I'm like, everything will be spoiled and stale if you do that. Can't do that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, I mean, here's the thing. Having lived abroad, uh, you know, for two years in Japan and then having traveled abroad quite often... I know how important one little thing can be when you get it from home, especially when we were living in Japan and we, you know, my mom would send a care package here or there. I I know how important it is to get like one jar of good peanut butter if you're in a country that doesn't have good peanut butter. And so when we were coming to Bulgaria, Heather and I realized that typically we're traveling with just carry-ons and actually recently with some domestic trips, we've been on Spirit Airlines and Frontier. So then it's then you're like really traveling with nothing, right? And so when I realized that we could have a, a actual carry-on size bag, like, you know, a larger backpack carry-on size bag, plus a checked bag, I mean, we were bringing ski gear too, so we're not used to really bringing a ton of stuff, Jay. So 
you know, we had to pack jackets and, and stuff. So we were bringing a checked bag at that point. I thought, okay, well, at this point, if we're bringing one checked bag and we both get a checked bag, I'll bring a checked bag and I'll just load it up with snacks. And so, um, yeah, a few people put in requests. You're the one who lives uh, in Europe. The other, everyone else would kind of just like, oh, I'm in Europe for a bit of time. Can you bring me this? So, man, I just loaded it up. I asked you what you wanted. Um, yeah, try to get you some good stuff. Extra toasty Cheez-Its are so much better in my mind than regular Cheez-Its. So, yeah, cleared yeah. out the uh, the local grocery store with with kind of those snacks and brought them over. And glad you enjoyed it, man. It was awesome, man. Thanks. And I felt a little bad. I mean, it didn't share anything with the group. I'm just like, no, these are mine. Sorry, everybody. I'm keeping these in the room. <laughs> well, everyone else, everyone else, as soon as they get back to uh, to the States can grab that. And so when I was leaving, Jay, I didn't even tell you this. I don't think as I was packing everything up, my kids kept saying, daddy, 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 like, can we open those goldfish? Why are you giving everything to Uncle Chicken Bird? That's, that's their <laughs> nickname for Jay, Uncle Chicken Bird. So it's like, why does Uncle Chicken Bird get all this? It's like, <laughs> Guys, we could drive the five minutes to the store and buy all this right now. It wasn't exactly computing to them uh, that they <laughs> could get this whenever they wanted and that you can't get it where you live in Norway. Um, so then I just basically had to <laughs> shut the suitcase out of sight, out of mind, put it in our room. Like, all right, stop bugging me for extra toasty Cheez-Its, kids. Well, you know, I think my neck's still sore because I have to keep up this chicken bird persona every time you guys are FaceTiming with your kids and you turn the phone on me. I have to I have to act like a chicken bird, which is a bird, a chicken, and thus, you know, move my head, jerk my head around and, and pretend I'm pecking food and all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little a little kink from the last trip after all those FaceTimes. But uh what a pleasure to get to go on a ski trip to Bulgaria together. So, I mean, we have a couple different things in this episode, as you can probably tell from the title. We're doing our top five reasons why group travel rocks. And typically, I think on this show or in general, we're always like kind of excited about independent travel and solo travel and things like that. And those things are fantastic. We're going to give them some love, but we're going to focus on the group experience here. And we're going to start First of all, before we get into that, we're going to start by sharing our impressions on travel in Bulgaria because, well, three years ago, just to give you the backstory, Tim Leffel, who's a friend of the show and he's been on the show and a personal friend of ours, uh, shout out to Tim, he, um, we, we came up with this idea of like running the ski trip, right, to Bulgaria because we're like, cheap skiing exists. We should all go on a ski trip together. Let's go somewhere where it's affordable. And we can get a bunch of people to go. And then we all know what happened. So that got put off after the whole pandemic thing. And then we finally got around to, to doing it. And I got to give Tim a big shout out because he planned all the logistics pretty much. I'm like, do you need any help with any of this? He's like, no, nah, I pretty much got it. I was just there. Like, you know, you met those guys in Bonsco. They had like everything. I mean, like these one guys could like arrange everything. So he's like, I just talked to them. They arranged everything. And then he arranged everything in the next ski resort. So we went to two resorts. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just invite, we'll just invite like sort of friends and, you know, let them maybe invite some friends to kind of fill this out and some people from uh, our communities and stuff like that. And we ended up getting 19 people, I believe, on the trip. And we all went on this group excursion together, a bunch of, I'd say, mostly independent travelers, I'd say, and couples and things like that. So I was thrilled when... Trav and Heather were a last minute addition because as I alluded to at the top of the show, uh, it was a bit special for us because 
we worked together for so long on projects as business partners uh, that we never really got to just travel and just relax and have a good time. We always, I mean, well, we did do that, of course, but we ended up talking about business and like, you know, inevitably we get into these like mastermind sessions and big picture business things, which is fun. But Trav, it was nice to just like be on a trip with you. (laughs) It's just a different type of travel, like you mentioned, right? Like group versus solo, independent versus organized. For us, it was... Yeah, it was always around something with the business because we were traveling to do a project and or or this or that or or yeah, or we were traveling and then, you know, we decided we should we should record all this stuff, we should do all this stuff, you know, because we're together and we don't get a chance to be together so much or you were coming to the US for Camp Indy the one time like it was always there was always the overtones or or maybe not even just overtones, but like the in-your-face nature of like, all right, let's run this business together. So yeah, having the the first trip where there was nothing business-focused at all was really special, really fun. You and I have personally been talking about it for a while. Um, you know, the ski trip, you and Tim, and and we were all kind of chatting about that a few years ago, but you and I have talked about f- ever since, I think, six, seven years ago, where I said like, hey, January 3rd is my birthday. One of these days, I want to spend my birthday, you know, at a at a beach resort surfing with you. Like we've talked about that for seven, eight years. Your birthday's mid-December. So we've always said if there was a way we could do this where we could do like a joint birthday thing and we could be celebrate, you know, surfing somewhere. Uh, we didn't we didn't do it this year, maybe one of these years, but we've always talked about just going to take a vacation somewhere and uh and relaxing. And this was this was that, not to necessarily celebrate our birthdays, but um, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience, and uh, I like how you said I was a last minute addition, which is funny because it is true. But Heather and I said we were in from the very beginning, but as is our nature at times, you you said like this is the absolute last day that you can sign up, and I was like, well, you know, I'm coming. You're like, yeah, but you actually have to do it. Like, you have to put your information <laughs> in and pay the deposit. Sign up. I thought. Okay, good, good, good. Well, this is we're making this happen. Let me just take a moment here because this is, and then I want to talk about how we framed up this trip because that brought up something that you, something you said brought something up in my mind. I want to share, but let's take a minute to let everybody know. Don't wait till the last minute to go to Camp Indy. <laughs> You're putting on Camp Indy, and if you go to CampIndy.com, we'll link to it. It's an event that I was a part of last year. Wish I could be a part of this year. Uh, it's a basically an adult summer camp thing with awesome talks and people. And I'm bringing it up because I know the position Travis is in right now, which is the one I was in last year, which is cost a lot of money to rent a venue. And so don't do what Travis and Heather did and wait till the last possible day to sign up. If you want to go to a fun, awesome summer camp for adults, get the ticket and go. It's in Connecticut. And what are the dates again, Trav? It's June 16th through 19th. An adult summer camp and conference. Yeah, don't don't be the last minute person. That's all I'm saying. Lock it in. Lock it in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always say don't like guys. Please don't wait till the last minute, and then I do it anyway. So I get it. But on the other side, you're thinking, can these people who said they're in just be in? Please come on. Yeah. <laughs> Take the stress off here. Now, I mean, I, I wish I could go, um, but I, we'll, we'll hear more about what's going on there later on the show. Tim sent out a letter when he first invited everybody to 
this trip from his network. And he's like, hey, here's what I sent. You can take whatever you want from this. And I just loved the letter about the Bulgaria trip. And uh, this is what I wanted to bring up because there's something around how you frame a trip, right? And I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like this. This is not a work trip. Because <laughs> like a lot of these people that were going were like travel content creators and you know, a lot of hardworking people and travel and other industries. And we're like, you know, it's, this is a vacation. You probably need one of those. So take this. And I think that was a really cool intention because as it can be with entrepreneurs, sometimes you get them all together and it's just, you know, work, work, work. And even for uh, travel content creators, of course, you could be documenting everything, you know, kind of in work mode. So I thought that was a good frame to kind of shut it off. Yeah, I, I agree that I've been on not many group trips, but I was on one like press trip with a group a long, I don't know now, it's probably like six or seven years ago when we went to Israel and it was a lot of, it. whenever it was, it was when Facebook Live first came out. I remember that was like the new thing to do. And we're on this 10 day trip in Israel and it was incredible, but I, there's probably 12 of us, I think, and 11 of us were working very, very, very hard and kind of like Facebook living everything. Like, you know, we'd be there in Jerusalem. They'd be like, oh, I got to get this on Facebook live. Again, different people run businesses different ways, but I wanted to be there to experience and then do kind of what we're doing. Well, not kind of then do what we're doing here. Like let it ruminate and then recap it when I have some time, but actually when I'm there, get to experience it. And uh, you could guess, yeah, I was the one that was doing the the least amount of work on the ground because I feel like when I'm doing that, it's very hard for me to actually have the experience that I want to have as well. So it was really cool to, on this Bulgaria trip, do the same thing where um, uh, basically pretty unplugged, almost completely unplugged and just getting to experience it. And I think you and Tim both set those expectations well, where it's like, you could do what you want. People went back to their room and did work sometimes here and there. But for the most part, it was, hey, you're here to travel. And um, and that is what everyone did, which made it a much better experience, I think, for everyone as well, because there's a lot more camaraderie. Yeah, it was awesome. We should share some impressions on travel in Bulgaria. Again, we were on a ski trip there. It was eight to 10 days, depending on, I had to come home about after eight days. I think you were there for 10 days, something like that. So you got to do some things I didn't get to do, but yeah, I wanted to just kind of fill people in because I thought it would be fun to talk about the, the visit to Bulgaria as a country, what it was like in the little time we had there. I don't know where you want to kick this off, Trav. I have some things I want to talk about, but I, I mean, should we kick it off with, with the Philly cheesesteak? <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot about that. That that is the the first thing that you and I did together when we met. Semi ironically, of, yeah, yeah. Of but course, we were when hungry. we met on this on the streets of Sophia, yeah, we hadn't seen each other for a long time. You said you were at this one little bar. Heather and I came and met you. You were already you had gotten in earlier than us, I guess. Um, and you were at this bar, and then right next to this bar was a place called. American cheesesteaks, I think it was just said, or, or something like that. Um, you and I both being from Philly, we're like, well, I mean, we're both kind of hungry. Let's split a Philly cheesesteak. So uh, that's how we kicked off our Bulgaria trip. It was okay. I, I mean, not as bad as I could have imagined it being, 
certainly not something that I would need to eat again. I would say, so we don't lose all of our travel street cred. We did eat an authentic Bulgarian meal that night. This was just sort of a snack to tidy us over, but we couldn't resist. I mean, the the American cheesesteak stand in Bulgaria, two guys from Philadelphia who have been getting legit Philly cheesesteaks together. I mean, it just, it drew us in like the Death Star draws in uh, enemy ships, you know, with the magnetic force. <laughs> you see the word cheesesteak and you're from Philly, you're, you're just, that magnetic force is going to pull you in. I don't know what to tell you, but uh, yeah, they were okay. Yeah. What did you think of, well, we could start there with the capital city. Yeah. You know, one of the things about group travel is sometimes it can be hard if you're used to independent traveling, I know we'll get in this. It, it can be hard to get a sense of stuff because you don't have to do much work, right? Which is a, a positive, right? So um, I went into this not having a single... Well, I shouldn't say not having a single. I, 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 we had talked to our friend, our mutual friend, Mikko, who's from Bulgaria. So he gave us a few places that he recommended. But I, I didn't have much on my radar to see and do in Sofia. And so typically, if Heather and I are going somewhere and we're only going to be in a city, and essentially all we got was like half a day on each end, right? So maybe like a, a little over a full day total. Typically, I'd, I'd, I'd use that and I'd run around as much as possible and try to fit everything in. Um, with groups, usually stuff goes slower, right? Because you just have more people. So I, I really, I, I liked Sophia. I don't feel like I got an incredible sense of it. Um, I thought if it, if we were there when all the flowers were in bloom, it seemed really uh, lush. Like there was a lot of trees, a lot of plants, a lot of gardens, um, things like that. I think if we were there, not in the beginning of April and end of March and more towards when stuff was blooming, I think it would be much more vibrant, but I, I enjoyed it. It was very walkable. It wasn't too big, um, pretty fairly compact city center for all the stuff that you would do as a tourist and, or someone coming through there. Um, so it, yeah, I, 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 to me, it wasn't as like picturesque as something like Ljubljana or, or one of these maybe European capital cities that that are 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 kind of like quintessential or postcard perfect, but I I think I could spend a couple days there, and I think there's probably a lot of things if you scratch underneath the surface a bit that are that are really unique, really unique to Sophia. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. 
Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Another part to your point, the like the water fountains weren't on, you know, they have these huge pools of water fountains like you can imagine as you mentioned with the flowers and the fountains going and stuff like that it would probably give it a different vibe in those areas but beautiful long pedestrian walkway i love a good long pedestrian walkway another great reminder when we dipped off the 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 pedestrian walkway and went like one or two blocks over we found that wine bar where they had the machine where you could like hold your glass up and push a button and pour different samples and stuff it's just uh, it's it's just such a great general travel rule that you oftentimes don't need to go far off of the main sort of tourist path, let's call it, to find like cute, cozy little places that are maybe a little more local. Just as a general travel, like there were some things that happened like that, that was just like a great reminder of, oh yeah, these are things you do when you travel. These are simple things you do to get yourself more ingratiated with the city and the locals and the community and things like that. One of the cool things I did like about Sophia is it wasn't because it's a bit off the beaten path, right? Compared to maybe other European places. Uh, it didn't seem that geared towards tourists necessarily. Like even as you mentioned, the pedestrian walkway walking around, not that I know who's a tourist and who's not. It seemed like we were there on a, I believe a Friday night or a Saturday night. I can't remember. And it seemed like that's just what the locals are out doing. Right. You, you're, yes. And maybe an American cheesesteak place, although I, that's probably not that geared towards tourists, to be honest. Um, you know, it seemed like we were just in amongst what the locals are doing on a Friday and Saturday night, um, which is cool, because when you're in you know, Paris or, or London or something like that, if you are in certain or Venice or Rome, if you're in certain zones, you, you realize what's a tourist zone, and what's not. Sophia, I'm guessing. There's still that, but it's not as in your face because there's probably just less tourists coming through. Um, I was really struck, Jay, now that you mentioned on that pedestrian walkway, the mountains. I, the, the only thing, the thing that it reminded me of was Boulder, Colorado, where, where you used to live and where I've got to spend a lot of time with you is you have this long pedestrian walkway and you're just walking down it and there's just huge mountains that you're looking at, which is not super common for a capital city of a country. Um, so I, 
I the beauty around Sophia was was top notch. Yeah, absolutely. And when you see groups of teenagers hanging around on a Friday night, you know, it's good to see there's angsty teenagers everywhere in the world. And if they're hanging there, then it must be a place where the local locals hang, right? Can be a good sign. Uh, you know, you, Trav, you mentioned not doing any prep work. I mean, this is maybe a little bit tied to the to some of the group stuff we'll talk about. But I was just writing about this this morning. Experienced travelers are the laziest travelers. <laughs> so, well, I mean, when I got to Bulgaria, I realized at the last moment, I don't even know what currency they use. I'm like, do they use the euro? Do they use something else? What's the exchange rate? How much should I take out? I mean, it was like such a fail, dude. Like I never would have done that in my early days of traveling. And then uh, I, I just by the the hair of my chinny chin chin avoided uh, some crazy ATM fees because I happened to just sort of get lucky and decline this thing and, and take the bank fees instead because it was like this weirdly phrased thing on the ATM machine. It doesn't really matter. I won't bore you with the details. But And then when I paid for the public transportation, the first thing that happened was the lady there shortchanged me and tried to, to rip me off by one lev. She stole 50 cents from you. That's how you're Yeah, so started. then I uh, I called her out on that because she did it to the person after me too who was with us. And uh, I realized, well, that's her scam, you know, getting, getting tired travel. So, you know, you want to be on the ball <laughs> when you show up. And at the very basics, I was just like a practical tip that I was just saying in my newsletter today. It's like, um, at least know the exchange rate and what kind of currency they use and have an idea of how, you know, is it more of a cash society? Are they going to take cards pretty much everywhere? Do you have your hotel paid for? And just figure out like how much you're going to take out for that first thing, because it sucks making all those decisions right when you get there. And again, experienced travelers are the laziest travelers, maybe in my opinion. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. I showed up and I, I said to Heather, I don't know, have any idea what the currency is here. I, or, or what we should be taking out or yeah i so exact same thing i did one something that was could have had much more dire consequences on a trip just this past october speaking of being lazy i th- this uh location indie safari was planned by our friend scott brills right who's been on your podcast i know he's been on mine um and he's so he takes he t- again i i haven't done a ton of group or organized travel, but in the last now six, eight months, I've done two big trips, right? The Bulgaria one and this this trip to Tanzania. So he was taking care of everything, right? Taking care of everything, very on the ball, sending stuff out. I wasn't reading it, sending stuff out. I wasn't reading it. So I'm leaving in about four days. And a friend of mine's like, yeah, so do you need like a visa or anything for Tanzania? I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, do you need like a visa? Do you need to like get like certain vaccinations? Do you need to get this or that? I'm like, I I don't know. <laughs> I was like, if you do, I'm not going. I mean, we're talking less than a week out. I had no idea because I hadn't, again, if this was my first trip, I would have done a thousand things. I just got super lazy. Thankfully, you didn't need a visa or vaccinations. But when I text this guy, I'm like, hey, do you need a visa or vaccinations? He's like, uh, well, if you do, you're not coming. Right. And he wouldn't even give me the answer. Like he at least made me Google it. And I was, oh my gosh. But I mean, that's like such a basic thing that I could have really got caught with. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing you're supposed to look at first. I mean, I have it on my checklist, I think on, on, on the web, like it's, you know, because some of these vaccinations, if you don't have them or you're new to travel, they can take months to get. 
You know, you have to like stagger them. So anyway, let's not be lazy experienced travelers next time. Okay. Deal. Deal. I, I'll say deal I for can't. you. He's like, no, I'm <laughs> not going to promise that. <laughs> I feel if I promised it, I'd be lying. Um, just, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the food. What'd you think about the food? Yeah, so this is, I did know a little bit coming in because having talked to our friend Mikko quite a bit and having him on the podcast talk all about Bulgaria, specifically he talked quite a bit about food because Eastern European food can can be pretty heavy, right? If you think Eastern European food, a lot of times people are thinking meat and potatoes, right? Like that's what you're thinking. Bland meat and potatoes or a big pork knuckle or something like that, which uh, don't get me wrong, it's fine. I I, lo- I actually really love, love, love a big pork knuckle. Um, but he told me that because Bulgaria, and if you can't place it on a map, I would have been hard pressed to place it on a map before we, we really went here. It touches Turkey and it touches Greece, right? So it's, it's much, he was telling us it's much more of a Mediterranean influenced Eastern European diet. Um, so lighter, more salads, things like that. So going in, I kind of had some expectations on the food more than really anything else. And I thought it was good. I was not really wowed by the food in the way I I thought it would be because he had talked about it a certain way, maybe a little more Mediterranean. And by that, I guess I'm not sure what I mean by that. Maybe, maybe just a little, a little lighter or maybe a little more, I guess I thought there'd be like maybe it'd be similar, more similar to Turkish food where there'd be a, a bit more of a like Turkish Israeli food, like super flavorful. Um, I thought it was decent. I thought the produce and the vegetables were very, very fresh and really, really good. But you know me, Jay, I like to rate stuff. If I'm rating Bulgarian food on a scale of zero to 10, I'm putting it right in the middle. I'm like, yeah, I had some really good stuff and I had some stuff that was just okay. Really? Okay. I mean, I would I would rate it higher. I really enjoyed it. The the Mahan, Mahanas or the Mahanas, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, the traditional restaurants where they come with sort of well, it's great because we were in a big group, right? So they come with these family style things and you just like you're seeing just so much meat and like vegetables. And what I loved about it was that it all at least on the surface, I mean, I I think it felt very local. Like, you know, it's like the whole farm to table kind of thing. It's not like, oh, this is trendy farm to table. And they're not saying it's farm to table. It's just that that's how the society works. There's a lot of farms around there. And it feels like they're just sourcing the stuff from the local farms in the area, which I love. It just felt very fresh in that way. I liked the decor in these places when you go in and there's just like all this. It takes a certain type of artist, I think, to... You know, there's like minimalist style and then there's the, hey, I'm going to just like fill this place with decor and it's going to be so much stuff, but it's not going to look sloppy. It's going to look super cool. And that's like- Are you talking that's about a, the uh, thousands of knives <laughs> on the roof of the one restaurant yeah. we went to? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was like yeah. knives stuck in the wall and like, you know, racks of wine and Bulgarian wine and- uh traditional costumes hanging on the wall and all kinds of different things. And it's really easy to screw that up. I feel like you can't just put random stuff on the wall, but then you look around and you're like, this place is covered and filled with all kinds of traditional stuff, but it feels cool. It doesn't feel sloppy. It just feels, uh, 
super nice, I guess, cozy. There was like a fire going. So um, I really dug the vibe there. The people, it was hard to really connect with. And this maybe goes into the group travel thing. You know, when you're when you're traveling in a group and, and we can maybe this would be one of the cons, I would say, I'm sure we would get into this, but we might as well address it since we're here, is that, of course, you can break off and and meet locals and kind of connect with them. But I would just say, you're well, we had a short trip too. But in general, I'd say you're much more likely to have like some crazy experience with a local if you're traveling solo or independently, even as a couple, than you would as a group. That's not to say it can't happen. It just, it, it just maybe, you know, the comfort of the group maybe adds a layer of, you know, you're just kind of hanging out with each other. And then you're just, you're not closed off because you're not like, you're not trying to be closed off, but just inherently being a part of a group, you're just kind of part of that group and you're interacting, of course, with locals and you're hanging out, but you might not get that invite to the local house for dinner or something like that. Yeah, I I would agree. I'm going to backtrack my food thing really quick. I'll bump it a little bit for two reasons, that that three reasons that I forgot about, and then we can move off food. But I, I think it... You're right that everything is super fresh, right? Like nothing's called organic or farm to table because it doesn't have to be because it just is, right? Like there's just a certain way of doing stuff. And I found that throughout Eastern Europe, right? You, it, They're not shipping stuff in. It's like, what do we have? We have this. Okay, <laughs> right. here we go. We have a potato farm um, down the street. Okay, there's your potatoes. We have a, you yeah, know. so, uh, so I, I, that is, that's a big benefit. The other big benefit is that it's it was super affordable. So the quality of the food that we were getting and the freshness of the food was, you know, that ratio was awesome the, for for the price we were paying, right? Um and then I yeah, I would also say there was a the one thing that I really really loved there and have never had anything as good as uh there is the nuts. So there was like all these nut vendors, right? Like cashews and like any type of nut you could ever imagine. And uh, the nuts were really, really good. I ha- I don't know why. I didn't haven't dug into why the nuts are very, very awesome in Bulgaria, but they were really good. So I think the type of food wasn't necessarily my favorite type of food. Like I would eat that every single day, but uh, the quality, the freshness for the price was pretty hard to it's going to be hard to beat that um and then as far as the people as you mentioned jay i think yes being in a group was a, just a completely different experience as as we'll get into now i i did find the people to be everyone was nice but um you're i think i think most people would say this about bulgaria and or eastern european in eastern europe in general this is one of the I would say stereotypes, but a, a usually a true stereotype is that they're going to be a bit more closed off in the beginning. Like you're not getting your gregarious Italian guys, you know, chatting you up and yelling you in the street and like all that kind of stuff. Well, you right? got yelled out in the street, didn't you? <laughs> well, I got, yeah, that actually, yes, I did. Uh, that was the one negative experience I had was, uh, guess the guy was drunk i don't know he you know you know how there's there's people standing outside of restaurants that try to get you to come in and those are supposed to be the gregarious like hey come on come on into our restaurant you know my my wife makes his food bring your friends like that's their job is to be gregarious and to get your attention and to get you into a restaurant this guy was the exact opposite of this 
I walked by him two times in a 45 minute span because Heather and I were out for a walk and he was standing outside of a restaurant as if he was supposed to be that person trying to get me into the restaurant. And he asked me if I wanted to come into the restaurant. Both times I said no. And then he got my face and basically started cursing me out. And so like the first time I kind of, uh, no big deal, walked away, you know, he was just kind of yelling at me. The second time we walked by again, I don't know if we remembered it was me or not. I obviously remembered him. It was outside. Bonsco is a very small area. <laughs> you know, there's so like it was right outside the same restaurant. And we were actually FaceTiming our kids walking by. He asked me if I want to come in. I said, no, we're going to this restaurant. And then he like got up in my face as if as if he was going to hit me. And he's like, oh, yeah, go back home. Like, yeah, no, he was just yelling at me. But that was some random drunk dude, Jay. But uh yeah, I just would say they're a little more closed off, a little more reserved, a little more kind of just like letting you do your thing, right? Like that's just that was the impression that I had and while I certainly met some people who were who were nicer, you know, even even in the hotel that we were at at Borovitz, the second the second uh place that we went, you know, like I kept smiling at the person at the front desk and uh, she never once smiled back in four days. Not once. <laughs> she wasn't mean. She just didn't feel like she needed to smile back. Actually, she pulled me aside and she says, tell that Travis guy to stop smiling at me. I didn't forget she, to tell you that. No, I'm kidding. You know, she gave uh, one of the people in our group, Kelly, when Kelly was saying bye, like we were all getting ready to leave. This is the last day. Kelly said bye to her and she said, bye, thanks for coming or something like that. That was really nice. And Kelly looked at me because all of us had gotten the same, I think, unless she was super nice to you, Jay, the same vibe of just like, yeah, yeah. hey, I'm here to help, but I'm not really going to engage if yeah. if I don't need to. And Kelly looked at me and I looked at her. And she goes, it only took four days for her to say a word to me. And I thought, <laughs> all right, I'm not the only one having this experience. Yeah. There you go. What did you think about the skiing? I mean, let, let's talk about the mountain culture because for anybody listening and maybe considering visiting, obviously, we've got all the mountain lifestyle stuff, right? So you have the skiing, the snowboarding, but then you also have hiking in the summer and things like that. We can only talk from the skiing perspective, but when you see some beautiful mountains, surely there's some great hiking in there and we heard there was as well. Uh, we went to two resorts. We went to the resort in Bonsko which is an up-and-coming, I'd say, digital nomad hotspot in some ways. And then we went to Borvets, which is like an old communist, like Soviet Union-style resort or something, which was kind of a really funky small town and super interesting. I don't know. When I think about living in Colorado, sometimes those two things merge, Trav. It's like you have the experience on the resort of like what the actual skiing is like. And you could helicopter to any resort and be on a ski mountain and kind of like, base a rating or something or just like a feeling on the the mountain the terrain the lifts you know whatever and then but then there's more of this sort of i guess to say like colorado is a great example of where like you know it's like the mountain town is part they go together it's like the resort but then the mountain town experience and the vibe there and everything like that bonsko had a, a bit of that that vibe where it was, you know, hey, this is like a mountain town, but I'm not sure, you know, it was cool because you walk around and you still see locals, you know, and like almost like old school kind of outfits, like sitting in their back porch talking, like clearly like you're like, these people have probably never been skiing on this mountain, you know? So it's like this town in some ways is still just 
a small Bulgarian town. It's not filled with like, you know, outdoor enthusiasts or whatever. So in that way, it wasn't necessarily like a mountain town, but in some ways it was when you start getting, bringing in the ski culture and the snowboard culture. And then you have, you know, sort of the pedestrian only area, which was really nice leading up to the resort. And they have this huge gondola that they brought in that, uh, I forget when it was installed, but I guess once that got installed. 2005, I believe. Okay. Or 2005, yeah, our guide, 2004. We did a walking tour, and which I always love walking tours, but that guy said that that sort of that changed everything, right? Because it gave town access to... It, it just became a really great base for that. And then we went to like a hot springs outside of town, which was super dope. So anyway, yeah, like I know I'm kind of throwing a lot of stuff at you, but I'm curious on your impressions of like... We can say like skiing, like the the skiing itself, and then we could say like the town and maybe ski, sort of outdoor town culture. Yeah, starting with the skiing, um, we went at very end of season. So I think the the I think both the skiing and the ski town experience would be a lot different if we were there in peak season. I think for better and or worse, it would have been a lot more crowded. Um, but a lot more of the mountain would have been open. Now, Jay, you do know that the day we left, well, you left a couple of days before the, the day after we left, they got dumped with two and a half feet of snow. So, oh, really? Oh yes. man. So <laughs> that resort um, was barely open. It was barely open. So like, yeah, they, they, it was for, for being the end of season, it was, I would say that both Bonsko and Borovitz were cool. Uh, you know, I am a much less experienced skier than you. Um, I've skied out in Colorado with you a, a, a decent amount, but uh, that's kind of my only real basis. I'd never skied in Europe before. Um, so I would say the scheme was good. I mean, as for someone who's an intermediate, it was it was pretty awesome for me, right? Because there's some stuff that I could challenge myself on. It was big enough, even though probably about fifty you know, 50% of the mountain was open. 50% was closed at both, at both resorts. Right. Um, so if the rest of the mountain was open, I think it would be a really cool experience. Cause you'd have more runs and more ability to kind of like go wider. Right. Whereas here kind of like how most mountains are when you get to the end of the season, kind of like a one part is open. Right. And then the stuff on the periphery is, is closed. So, you know, you end up doing a lot of the same stuff, but, uh, I mean, as far as the, price for what you get and this is why Bonsko and Borovitz and Bulgaria as a whole is at the top of every list when it comes to best bang for your buck ski resorts in the world because yeah for a $20 or $25 lift ticket I, I mean you're not gonna find that anywhere else in in the world really right great like deal. so great deal incredible deal pretty good mountain i asked my buddy who skis all over the world because again i i don't know a ton about skiing and i got pretty obsessed with the ski town thing after we came back so i was like oh i want to do uh, uh, a season in a ski town i want to do a month two months three months in a ski town and just keep going day after day after day after day to to get better and so i was asking him what he would compare bulgaria to because he's obviously has been there the dude's been everywhere and uh he said essentially that he would say it was it was comparable and this is if you've been in the US to like some of your best east coast resorts he's like the 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 mountains are bigger in bulgaria than the east coast resorts but the terrain is probably a bit better at the top notch east coast resorts in vermont and new hampshire and stuff like that so he'd be like i'd put it like just a tiny tier below some of those best east coast resorts so that gives 
people a little bit of a framework to work on, maybe if you have been skiing or snowboarding. Um, I I thought it was great. I mean, we didn't have to wait in any lift lines ever. Uh, you just you just go down the mountain, you hop on. And again, that that might be because we're end of season. I did hear that in Bonsco, the the gondola um gets pretty packed if you're there like at peak times and can be like an hour wait because the ride itself, like the ride in the gondola is 25 minutes to, to get you to where you need to go. So it's a, it's a long gondola ride. Um, so I could see why I, I, that could be a pain. If, if you were wait, if you got there and you're ready to go on the mountain and you wait an hour to get on the gondola and then you go a half hour or 25 minutes on it, that, that I could see becoming a bit of a of a pain, but Borovitz seemed like you wouldn't wait near like as much because you're right there is everything is almost ski and ski out like the town is at the base of the mountain and you just get on the lift and you go up. So that's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, bang for your buck, just because you brought that up. I mean, to give people a little bit of a context here. We put this trip together not to make money, just to bring a bunch of people together. So we we didn't try to add any money on top of what it costs to like be there and do the whole thing. But we were able to, you know, stay in a hotel for a couple nights. And Sophia, we were able to rent like a whole chalet that was awesome in Bonsco, where they brought in like dinner every night. Like most, like, like most of the meals were covered and all the breakfast and everything, plus all the ski rental gear like all the ski lifts and the rental gear for um, what was it? Four total days of skiing, right? Two in each resort. We had like a transportation to the other resort and like a monastery visit, which we'll talk about and, you know, a bunch of meals and and all this stuff. And it was a thousand euros for 10 days. No, less, less. I think it was 700, 750, I think. Was it? It was, I I didn't pay a thousand. You owe us some money then. Maybe I, I just pay what was on the website, man. It got auto bill. Um, well, I, I think it was eight hundred. Yeah, it was. All right, it was crazy cheap. Totally, like a thousand or less. Like I can't remember the exact the exact cost, but uh, I mean, if you think about that, and I mean, as somebody so astutely pointed out during the trip that a one day lift ticket at Vale now costs. Well, I could look it up to get the exact price. Two hundred and fifty uh, bucks. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, good skiing. I felt some of that culture when you stop at the lodges and then when you come off, there was like the opera ski thing. Too many, uh, apparently Brits, of course, found this place. They're everywhere. Uh, so there were plenty of young uh, British folks getting getting their drink on. You know, that, that was part of the scene, I guess. But other than that, I didn't see like another big international group there. But the, again, that we weren't there at high season. I liked the time here we were there. You could get lucky, of course. We, you know, the weather was pretty good. The skiing was decent, but there wasn't a ton of snow. But this was an off season for Europe in terms of skiing. But like you said, it snowed two feet the next day. So, I mean, you know, spring skiing is always hit or miss. And in, in my opinion, it's a gamble worth taking because the downside is that, okay, maybe less trails are open. Maybe the snow isn't as good, but you know, it's the end of the season anyway, and you get sort of maybe a little bit nicer weather and it's kind of like chill. Let's, let's ski a bit. Let's have some meals, whatever. Or you could get dumped on and have power skiing the the whole time. And either way you kind of win, you know, (laughs) what did you think of the, and then we'll get in the ski town part, but what did you personally think of this skiing? Cause you've done quite a bit more skiing than me 
in in a lot more places. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I'm I'm no expert. I'm not like going to go, "Oh, let me I got to get off pissed and like go through these, you know, crazy forests and stuff like that." So, it's hard to say because there were some parts of the mountain that were closed, so we couldn't get everything. I do wish they had more like mogul trails, I guess. Not that I need like a super steep big mogul trail, but it's nice to have some bumps on some, you know, medium to steeper type of trails. So, it wasn't like super varied in the terrain, uh, but it was enjoyable. I would say. So wasn't the best resort I've ever been to, but again, I'm spoiled having lived in Colorado for so long and having some epic ski experiences. But I I guess what your friend said being kind of equating it as a tier below those Killingtons and Stowe's and places like that, that that's probably about right. It's like bigger than like the Poconos or the small ones, maybe not as big as totally. I mean, Vermont ones. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that part of it too, like just to give people a sense you know, the worst is when you wait like an hour to get on a chairlift and then the ride's like five minutes down. It's not like that. Like you take a chairlift up and you have a decent ride down the mountain. Yeah, the mountains some longer ones, so. are, are pretty long. Like, yeah, that's what I enjoyed, right? Is it not everything was open, like the whole width of the mountain, but almost, well, we didn't even get top to bottom at, at Bonsco because like we said, there was no snow at the gondola but you can take a long route ra- i mean if you went top to bottom that is a super long run if the whole thing was open and they told us like two weeks before it was and then after they got all that powder it would have been open too so yeah i liked i i i would go back i personally enjoyed it i would do a ski season there um that's one of the things that i was that i've been thinking about quite a bit with the ski town vibe as well as i want to do a month or two months and one of our friends ray who was on the trip same thing was like, I want to teach my son to ski. And I'm like, I want to teach my kids to ski. So doing one in Bulgaria in a place that is very easy to get to the mountain, I think for me, and especially with the kids, if we're going to do that, it comes down to how easy is it to get on and off the mountain? And how close can we be to it? Because you don't want to load up the car and drive 20, 25 minutes, you know, it just becomes a whole slog. If I'm going to do a ski season, I've always said to you, what I want to do is something that's ski in ski out or very close to it because that's the beauty hey let's go ski for a couple hours and come back or you know some people can go and other people don't have to go you know you're not you're not making a whole mission of it every time and um yeah i think bonsko is and borovitz too is great for that um bonsko as you mentioned much more of a town uh almost like a tale of two towns right you have the unesco world heritage site that's the old town that's like any kind of old school European town with its own charm and uh, not crazy touristed. So you do see people sitting there, as you mentioned, Jay, living regular life that that have lived there forever. And you kind of get that feeling of it. Um, and then when the gondola opened, you know, up at the mountainside, they opened up basically everything like the new town that wasn't there before 2005. And that's typically really rammed during the, uh, I did a lot of real estate research and talked to a bunch of people there. That's really rammed during the ski season and then essentially shuts down until summer when people come back and are hiking and renting four wheelers and ATVs and all that kind of stuff and going up, up the mountain that way and mountain biking. So it, it it's an interesting ski town in that when it is a ski town, it's a ski town up up on the top part, and the rest is just living its regular life. And then 
it kind of ends and then everyone lives their regular life in Bonsko and then it kind of comes back during the summer, you know? Um, so I, I liked that vibe. I think there could I, ideally, as you said, an up and coming digital nomad hub. I think there could be a bit more for digital nomads or, or expat families if you were coming for a longer time. I think with a few more good restaurants and coffee shops, I'm just talking about what I would want personally. I, I think it could get a bit small. If I if I was there for three months, I think it would get a bit small because it's only a town of 10,000 people and there's only a few kind of things catering towards uh, travelers, tourists, expats, and digital nomads. So if there was twice as much of that, so like maybe four coffee shops instead of two, I think that would make, those are the little things that make a big difference if you're there for a long time. Um, and Borovitz, I loved as as an old Soviet kind of ski town, everything right there on the mountain, packed in, super goofy, super fun. But it there's it, it it's not a town right the town is what seven seven miles or seven kilometers away of Samokov so it, you can't I I would never live in Borovitz outside of ski season or maybe even in ski season there's just nothing to do other than skiing right it's like you just go ski and then there's just a few restaurants ringing the bottom and that's well I mean there is one thing to do with two it. things go to a shooting well, range in a hotel that, that's, that's true. Which was True. awesome, run by Bulgarian's world champion shooter. They he had like a whole shooting range set up in like I wouldn't even call it a conference room. It was like a small smaller than room a conference room. That a said pellet. shooting should, gallery. Yes, we should I mean, clarify a, a pellet. Like you were shooting little pellets at a target, yes. right? But yeah. yeah, what was he the the. I don't know, 1986 European... 68 uh, and like 86 or something. 10 it, it was meter like champion spread far or apart. something? Yeah, yeah or he, he was some whatever. kind of world champion shooter and very interesting. And by the way, everywhere you went, there was like music videos playing on TV. So it was funny while I was shooting this gun at this target, this pellet gun. I just remember listening to like U2 or something. Some, you know, some older music they were playing they played come on irene i was like oh i was waiting for this one while i was sh shooting yeah, I a lot of too. 80s and 90s music videos yeah. everywhere i always whenever Bulgaria. i go to a shooting gallery in a hotel in borovitz i always like to do it with 80s videos in the background always 100 percent of always. the time <laughs> and if they uh, well, don't have it on go to go to the next shooting gallery if they don't if they yeah. won't play 80s music <laughs> videos find the next shooting gallery and we did go to a spa for 15 bucks and that was awesome because yep. they had like a steam room and saunas and we had to pay extra for the hot tub, but it wasn't much and swimming. We couldn't swim underwater without holding our breath, like holding our breath the whole time. We, none of us could do it. It was that long of a pool just to give you a sense um, or, or we just all stink at holding our breath. But it was like a nice, you know, legit spa type of thing and it was 15 bucks. So that's that was sweet. So, you know, there's things to do like that. But to your point, it's not a, I don't think it's a town I would want to live in. Uh, before we get in the list, I did want to touch on one more highlight for me, the Rila Monastery located in the southwestern Rila Mountains, which is a spectacular monastery that's been around, I guess, uh, it was established in like 927. I'm looking at it. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And rightfully so. I mean, you walk in and it's just spectacular with the mountain backdrop and really incredible frescoes painted on like the walls and underneath. And when you go inside, you can't take pictures there, but it's just lovely. I mean, really beautiful, spiritual feeling place. Just, uh, one of those things where it's like you go to Bulgaria, I'd say you have to go see this. 
Yeah, I would agree. Rila Monastery was awesome. Off the beaten path a bit. Well worth the trip to get there, right? However you get there, shuttle van. They, they, you know, it's one of those, it's one of the main tourist attractions in that area. So that you can easily get there um, through any type of tour operator or anything like that. One thing that you didn't get to do that I that I wanted to highlight as well in Sofia, there's a thing called the Red Flat. And I found I this ask fascinating. Yeah, yes. I found this fascinating because one, having grown up in the States in the 80s and 90s, communism, it's just, for me, I am so intrigued by what it would have been like like what my counterpart would have been like if I had grown up right behind the iron curtain, right? It's just, it, it, it will just be something that seems so different and so unique. Like we've only, it's kind of this big thing we build up in our mind, right? Having grown up in the States or Western Europe even. And um, the Red Apartment does a really incredible job showcasing what it would have been like to grow up there. So what what this group has done, it's really neat, is they've taken an apartment um, and they have, it, it's a completely immersive experience. So like you you get a ticket and you go into this apartment and it's like one, two, it, it's, it's a kitchen and living room, a kitchen, a living room, a bedroom, and, and, then like a bathroom and a little balcony. So you go into this apartment and it's set up as if I can't remember the exact year they were doing it, like right before the the fall of communism. So call it like the eight, 89 or something like that, right? Like late 80s. And they have all this stuff that you can touch everything. You can see everything. And I I never actually got to ask them. It tells a story. You actually use one of those um, like audio tours. And there's about 40 different stories that they tell. And it's taking you through the life of this family, you know, a mom, a dad and uh, a a son, I believe it was. And as they're telling you, you can walk around this apartment, you can touch stuff, you can see it, you can sit there. Like I laid on the one bed, I actually like kind of dozed off a little bit. It's about an hour and a half. So (laughs) I was a little tired. Um, But they tell you like touch everything, go through everything. So it was really cool. Because and and what I should mention is you're actually in this apartment building where other people are living. So they have bought or rented this apartment and kept it as a time capsule. But other people are living in these other apartments, maybe as they were in the 80s, but probably renovated a little bit. It just didn't. It's just such a cool thing. Like I wish every city or every place I went to had that especially during that time period, because me being born in 1983, you know, I'm sitting there saying, man, I would have been six or seven or eight. I could feel myself like if I was sitting in this apartment, this is how I would have grown up. And so they did a great job telling the story. And again, I, I don't know if it is the true story of the family who lived there before, or if it's a, a fictionalized version, but it's very true to what it would have been. It was great. It was uh, could not recommend it enough for anyone who's going through Sophia. Mm. Yeah, that was I, I put that on the list because I wanted to ask you about that. And that was the one thing when I saw I was back home and you guys were still there and you were going to that. I was very jealous because I was like, oh, man, that just seems like cool just to take a look at everyday life in communist Bulgaria by going into this home 
of, of an average family, I guess. Yep. Yep. Right across, right around the corner from the cheesesteak place. Oh, man, we were so close. We were wasting our time shoving Bulgarian American cheesesteaks down our, our gullets. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. We should get into this list. It's a quick one. Five reasons why group travel rocks. I think I wanted to do this too, Trav, because we're, we're always hyping up solo travel, independent travel here. But, you know, I've had, I think, even the most hardcore solo or independent traveler has had some good group experiences, even if not for a whole trip, at least for, you know, a group experience, like say a walking tour, which we did or something like that. But even like a group experience where you're with the group the whole time I've led them as a tour guide, I've been a part of them as a traveler. There are, I think, some exciting perks when it's done right. I think we did it right uh, with giving people like sort of flexibility. You know, of course, we're going into the assumption that you know, this is kind of set up for success. You're not, not, you're not going to be going with a, like on a group trip where it's just like maybe, you know, like go, go, go one thing after the next, like type of thing wouldn't be my style. I think at, at this point, most professional tour operators are able to kind of toe that line between independence, giving people freedom and flexibility and also the group dynamic and, and kind of cultivating the culture there, which it, it, it's interesting because it is its own culture too. It's its own subculture within a group, uh, within a trip itself, right? Like the group and the group dynamic and how it comes together is a part of a trip for better or worse, I guess you could say. And that is an unpredictable part of group travel that you just don't know. You don't know. Uh, the, the operator, the leader's guy, I think is, is job. One of their jobs is to help the group gel or at least give them the opportunity to, to gel to a certain extent. And, you know, that wasn't hard with this group because <laughs> it's just such a great group of people and everybody just kind of 
pretty laid back travelers and, and kind of used to doing it on their own too. So it wasn't, you know, let's say a high maintenance type of group uh, clientele, but there are benefits and I'd say cons to group travel. And we just wanted to, we, we've discussed some of the cons already, but we wanted to really highlight some of the benefits and let's start with number five and, and count it down. Not necessarily this is in any order, but it makes it a little, it builds a little more tension, right, Trav? Um, <laughs> the tension of what's number one, even though it's not the most important. We just told you it doesn't matter yeah. the order. Well, but, I mean, I, I kind of have it as the most important, but it's hard okay. to say that it's hard to say that it's when you're talking about people and then logistics, it's it is two different things in many ways, right? Sure. But I would say the top one is people related. So sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that I like you said, we talk a lot about independent travel on our podcast because that's what you and I have done the most of, for sure. Um, but I, I always think there's a time and a place for every type of travel. You know, there's sometimes people will say, oh, travel, you must hate cruises because, you know, it's just like a cruise or an all-inclusive. Like, well, no, I've never actually been on a cruise, like a good cruise. And I've like, I'll take an all-inclusive any day of the week, right? So I, I think group travel versus independent travel... Um, or like I'd say group travel versus solo travel, right? Or independent travel versus organized travel, right? Those are kind of the dynamics we're looking at because this was a organized group trip, right? You could go on an organized, well, I guess you wouldn't go on an organized solo trip exactly. That might be weird. Uh, or, but yeah, I think the one of the big benefits, and I've done two of these now, like I said, in the last eight months, the the trip to Tanzania and the safari, and then this one, um, I think one of, for me, the biggest benefits is it's less overwhelming and, and you have like opportunities to, to, to branch out in a predictable way. So like when I'm by myself or even when I'm just with Heather and we have all this time, like we could do anything. Right. And so sometimes I feel that pull to do everything, or I kind of get a little of that analysis paralysis of like, Oh my gosh, we can do anything. Like, what should we do? And I feel like there are times where I'm I'm researching too much, and I need to do every you know everything has to be perfect. Oh my gosh, it, like the decision is on me. Or or if if you're you know and you feel like you have to do it right here, it's kind of like, hey, this group's doing this, this group's doing that, this group's doing that, and you're just like, I'm just going to pick the one that feels best right now. Oh, do I want to go out to the karaoke bar or not? Less uh, is more want- in some ways, right? Less is more. Less is more. And uh, a really good example of this was. You know, we were skiing, Heather, my wife and I were skiing and she was like, all right, I'm going to go sit at the lodge. Right. So like we pull up to the lodge and you guys are sitting there and she's like, I'm a little tired. I'm going to hang out here. And then some of your group was like, well, I'm ready to ski again. So I wanted to keep skiing. So then instead of going by myself, which I would have done if I if I was just by myself, I was like, cool. Now there's like three other people I haven't skied with today. We get to go skiing. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I wonder if Heather's bored at the lodge. Should I go back? How's she feeling? Because like she's got three or four other people there to hang out with. So it just uh, allows these opportunities to to kind of just pick and choose in the moment and not feel like, yeah, like I have to think about everything ahead of time sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. All right. I, I like that. We're starting there with number five and we'll move to number four, which may be loosely related, but I'd say is different. And that is relaxation. 
you can actually not pay attention for once. Like you don't have to figure everything out all the time when you're solo traveling or you're with a couple, you're independent traveling. You do have to figure everything out. It's like, where, you know, all right, where's the bus station? How do we do this? You know, what do we do? You know, where do we stay now? Da, 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 da. And it's just like, it can be tiring. And sometimes it's nice to not have to figure out all of the logistics by yourself all the time. It's like, okay, there's a, a, a group walking tour. That's something I would have done as an independent traveler anyway. It's just that it's a good example, I guess, because I, I love walking tours. And I, but then I would have had to like look one up and like contact the company and book it and you know, all that. And Tim did all that in this case, but it's like, Hey, there's a walking tour. If you want to go on it, it's at three o'clock meet over here. It's like (laughs) done and done. So, uh, that's uh, very relaxing, especially when you're, you're, you're just gone for a short period of time and you're just like, Hey, I don't want to like, you know, have to figure all this. Like I, I love the challenge of figuring stuff out and solo traveling and all that. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I especially see the value. Well, there's a ton of value in it, and, but especially on like longer trips, right? For maybe for something shorter, this is something worth considering and tying it back to what you just said uh, for number five, less overwhelming at the time and a place for, for different types of travel. I, I love that. It's like, you know, there are seasons or whatever. And I remember you and I did a project together and we met up in Mallorca in Spain and we did like an all-inclusive. And I think it was like the first one we'd ever done. Uh, both it was a family like, resort. Or, like that's what they yeah, called it. Yeah, it was a fa- there, first like family, family re- yeah, inclusive, a family resort. Family resort. Like, yep. Oh, this is going to be horrible. horrible. And it turns out <laughs> it was awesome because, well, for many reasons, again, time and place. We had like two-year-olds at the time. It's like they don't like a certain food. So you show up at the buffet, let them have whatever they want. You don't have to like think about what am I going to order, this and that. You can still explore. We got a car. We like went around Mallorca and explored. We went to the beach. It's not like we weren't those people that just didn't leave the resort. That's lame. You know, like I'm going to be here and I'm never going to leave. We did go out and have meals and do things like that. But you had this sort of built in thing for kids and stuff. And again, that that's a real time and place thing like small kids. Okay, we have like some days in in a place. This isn't a bad option. You know, I haven't done it since, but I would do it again uh, because it was just so darn convenient. So um, anyway, and, and that goes back to relaxing. You know, again, sometimes it's getting out of your comfort zone, getting challenged is good. Uh, but occasionally you just want to relax and not think too much. <laughs> it's nice to have the, the word you just used. I don't know if you used it, but the word that came to my mind is you're saying, it's nice to have like a base level of decisions made for you. Okay. Dinner's at this time and the walking tours at this time and this and that. And then when you have kind of your, let's talk, let's say like your basics met, right? Like, okay, here's how we're getting to this resort and then here's here's the day we're leaving here when the meals are here's this it's cool because then you could say all right well do i want to go on the walking tour or not do i want to go ski longer today or not you know you're making one fifth of the decisions and that's kind of nice because as you said it it can get very 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 tiring to to have to make all the decisions i remember in this bulgaria trip we were leaving sofia and we were going to get on the bus to to bonsko and you know, again, Tim was just like, meet at this time in the lobby. I think it was like 8 a.m., right? Okay, fine. So everyone meets, everyone starts going. I had to wait for something. So you guys went all ahead and there was like four of us behind. And even just then figuring our way to the bus station, it was not very far, but we had to like go down a set of steps and then there's like two paths to take. And I remember all of a sudden saying, Oh my gosh, I don't know which path to take. You know, and yeah, and just I was there. Yeah, of- we, we weren't sure which way to go. 
yeah, yeah, just that uh, moment. Turn like, it off. Oh wait, what? <laughs> what? W- w- we got to figure this out. It was like enough to think. I'm really glad I don't have to figure most of this out. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's nice. You could say it just from a, a travel argument too. Maybe having a bunch of decisions already made for you opens you up to having the time to explore your curiosity about the culture and things like that. Cause you're not trying to figure out logistics. Who knows? I don't know. Could be something to think about. Again, this isn't an argument for like, you should only group travel. I think everybody gets that. We're just trying to highlight some of the benefits of it. Number three, I would say is, is very people oriented. Of course, this could be number one, depending on your experience and who you meet new friendships. And as you pointed out, we were talking a little bit about this list before the show, this idea of uh, sort of random pairings, you might say odd pairings in some places, depending on on the group where you might be interacting. And this is always travel, right? And then that can happen within the group travel dynamic as well as you might be associating, interacting with or becoming friends with, or maybe falling in love with who knows, whoever you're listening, whoever's listening with uh, somebody that you meet from the group you're with that you never would have met in any other circumstance, perhaps, right? Or like maybe you wouldn't have spent this much time talking to, I'm using air quotes, that type of person, you know? Perhaps that's another way to, you know, travel's about connection. And I think the more connections we have, the more we realize we're all in this together here on planet Earth, not to get too like, you know, trippy here, but that vibe translates to the group dynamic as well. Yeah, one of the things that I've loved about that I loved about this trip and I loved about the trip that we took to Tanzania, and I keep referencing that just because of two group trips that I took in the last eight months and I haven't done many of them, is that there was no um the only common thing was that like these are this is for people who want to come and they want to travel and they want to do this travel experience. There was no age limit set on it. You know, sometimes group trips can say, Hey, this is for retirees. Actually, our friend Scott, his dad goes on all these retiree ones. And then he's his dad always brings him. And he's the, you know, he's like, I'm 30 years younger than everyone on this trip. So I guess it's not like just for retirees, but it's like almost everyone does that. Or like Kentucky tours or something like that, where they set an age limit. Those are done for certain reasons and they and they fill a certain um spot in the travel ecosystem. What I've liked about the trips that we've done is that there is no requirements for age or where you're from or anything like that. And so it has spanned a, a wide swath of ages and experiences. Some people are retired. Some people are younger than me. Some people are older than me. And so that's been really neat, especially on this last trip, because there are people that I I definitely you know, if I was putting together a group trip, wouldn't have had on my trip because I didn't know them before, but also just because of maybe the the way they travel. And I've gotten to travel with them and taken some of the, yeah, some of the tips, tricks, and some of the experiences that they have in the way that they're traveling. And for example, Karen comes to mind. She's great. Like she didn't ski, right? And she came on a ski trip. She was awesome. I don't usually like... I. I got to hang out with her and get to bond, got to bond with her when typically I probably wouldn't be going on a group trip with her if we were segmenting ourselves out by age or what, what type of stuff we really liked, uh, like, you know, hobbies or things like that. But I really loved getting to spend time with her and it was a super fun experience. So I, I like that where you have, uh, where you have these people that might not have come together some other way. 
Absolutely. And now we have um, some new friends and some online friends we met in person for the first time and, and that sort of thing. And that's always a wonderful thing. Number two, saving money, of course. Costs. We're going to talk about the chalet, for example, getting to rent that because we filled it up with, I think it might have slept one or two more, but for the most part, we filled it up. This lovely sort of chalet, ski themed, like had a big long table where we'd have these communal dinners. Uh, You can't fill that up with five people. So when you get a group together, you have more buying power, you have the ability to negotiate discounts, you have, uh, it's just more affordability. I could leave it at that. We could go on and on, but if done right, and, and again, we can be saying, we're not saying necessarily, we're not just talking about group trips that you would go and pay for from a tour operator or something like this. We, we put this together independently. So you as the organizer can put together your own trip with your group of friends of 10 people or whatever, and use that as leverage to get better costs, better pricing. And that's just, it's just, it's a perk, I'd say. It can be a perk. Of course, like, tour operators will mark things up and it could be a lot more expensive than if you did it independently. And that can generally be the case, but saving money can also be a perk if if you're doing it. Say you're doing a group trip independently, let's say. And one of the things I just think, uh, I think the trade-off with cost is uh, because again, uh, no type of travel is perfect and, and, and it's all right at different times. I think, and, and I think you're right. You can get a much, there, it can be much cheaper. I think the the biggest trade off when it comes to cost is then the consideration of how you might travel versus someone else, right? So, for example, maybe you're the type of person who who would say, "All right, well, I don't want to do everything as cheap as possible. I would have spent an extra twenty bucks or forty bucks right a night for this type of accommodation." But we're with this group. So, you know, again, it's not a good or bad thing. I think that's the that's the maybe sometimes tough balance when you're doing stuff in groups is the autonomy for that type of thing, right? Is is like you have to make sure your your expectations or what you want is aligned with the what the group wants, because when you're an independent traveler, you know, you can always change it usually, right? Like, ah, I don't know. I, I want a cheaper place. I'm here. I want a cheaper place. I'm going to go get a cheap place. Or I'm here. I want a more expensive place. I'm going to go a more expensive place. So I'm with you. You can save a lot of money and I think it's great. But that would be the one little thing that I would tell people before you're going on a trip, make sure you're talking to whoever's running the trip. Or if you're running the trip, make sure you're talking to the people coming. I'm like, here's the type of place we're going to be or the type of things we're going to do. Here are the costs. And you know, because I could see some people, not in our group, like it was, it was great because everyone had those expectations, but I could see that being a little bit of a sticky point, right? At times. And that, that would be, that would be my biggest concern if I was running a group was like, what are people's expectations around, especially around accommodations? That's usually the big one or, or like, or like how we're traveling in between places. Everyone cool with a shuttle bus, you know, or like an overnight train or whatever, just those kind of things um, would be something to consider if you're putting together a trip or if you're looking to join a trip. Yeah, it's a great point. I remember in the letter I referenced earlier that Tim sent out, one of the things he said was no divas, please. (laughs) And, you know, that's only three words or I think it just said no divas. I don't even think there was a a please. But, you know, in those two words, it kind of says a lot, right? It's like, hey, we're going to be 
this isn't going to be, you know, some kind of luxury trip. We're going to be staying in, you know, we're going to be taking shuttle buses. We're going to be doing public buses, this, that, and the other. So uh, you're right, though. I think setting ex- those expectations is key. We'll get to our number one. Sharing. Right? Sharing food, sharing memories, the camaraderie, sharing laughs, sharing perspectives with each other. Got to be number one. I, for me, it it is. I mean, it, this comes to the new friendships thing. I, I mean, I guess new friendships means people we didn't know before. For me, I loved this trip in particular because about 50% of the people I, I already knew and had strong relationships with. So I got to, you know, further those relationships and got to see those people and about 50% of the people I didn't know. And I, being an extrovert and being someone who, who's curious and as you are too, that's why you have a podcast. That's why you interview all these people. It's like, you want to hear about people. You want to hear their story. You want to know about them. I, To me, this was the perfect mix of that where I could sit there and be like, I'm so excited to see Jason again. We haven't hung out for a while. We're going to get to be in person. We're going to get to ski, but I'm also going to get to chat with these other people who I've never met and like satiate that, that part of me too, that curiosity of wanting to make new friendships. And we all know that stuff happens over travel quicker, right, Jay? Like, I mean, when you have these shared experiences, especially when you're in different cultures and most of you haven't been there and, and you're all experienced this, this something for the first time, it's a, it can bond you really, really quick and you have a lot to talk about. And there's a lot of stuff that afterwards you feel a kinship with, right? And so to me, that is by far the biggest benefit of group travel is is the relationships that are formed that then happen there, but then feasibly are ongoing as well because you've 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 done something for the first time together and you have that commonality to to harken back to to then deepen the relationships hopefully in the future. Mm, love it. Speaking of coming together with a group sharing and all that good stuff. You want to tell people what's going on at Camp Indy this year? Yeah, I mean, what I, you know, running an event, uh, you and Tim didn't seem that stressed out with this Bulgaria trip. Um, you admittedly have said like, well, Tim just put it together. So I, I, Tim Tim is really laid back and chill. And, um, but that being said, running an event, running a trip is, is never easy, right? It, it just, there's work that goes into it, no matter how much you've done it before or how good the people are on the ground that are helping me out or any of that. Um, and so I just have a deep appreciation for anyone who, who says I'm going to do this, right? I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be a pain. I know it can be stressful, um, but I'm going to do it. And uh, you and I have a lot of, I mean, our relationship, we have to thank because of a conference that we went to called the World Domination Summit. And people who are listening to this who know you and I have, we've heard, talked about it a lot. But uh, in 2013, I went to a conference I had never been to. You had been to a few years before. And uh, we met there. And because a guy named Chris Gillibo took on the initiative to put on a conference and to put on an event, uh, it changed my life because we met. And we did businesses together and we started podcasts together and our families became friends together. And so when I think of the most important things that have happened in my life, it comes from events. It comes from either conferences that people have put on, travel experiences I've had with groups. And uh, yeah, we decided, you and I, way back 
Jay, before the pandemic in 2018, I think we started planning this, um, that we wanted to give people a, a similar experience. We wanted, if someone was sitting there and they were an entrepreneur or, or a entrepreneur or a digital nomad or someone or a creative who was like, I can't do this nine to five. I can't live this regular life. I don't want to, but I don't know people in my real life who are trying to break free and live life on their own terms. We wanted to give them a space to meet other people and to learn how to do that. And we wanted to do it in person because all of you can listen to Jay's podcast. You can listen to my podcast. You can listen to Location Neat podcast. That's great. That's incredible information, but we know the real connections happen when you're in person. And so in 2018, we decided we want to do that, but we were also decided, and Jay, you could hop in here. This is your story as well that it couldn't be in a boring conference room if we're teaching people to break free of their regular life and be unconventional and kind of live their most fulfilled life and travel more. Doing that in a regular conference room didn't feel right. So we decided to do it at an adult summer camp. Yeah, yeah. It's a great place. I know you're hosting it at the same uh, same camp. I wish I could be there. My mom is actually going to be visiting from the States in Norway to see her grandchildren. So the reason why I can't come, but otherwise I would be there because it's a, it's an awesome camp setting, lovely lake, so many awesome activities. You got like high ropes course, climbing, um, just super cool people. And I hadn't had that magical feeling from a conference since like the early WDS conferences that you referenced. So it was an honor to facilitate that and to be a part of it. It's, you know, cool to see that you're keeping it going and people can check it out. Of course, we'll leave the link in the show notes. It's campindy.com, but it's less than two hours from New York City. Pretty easy to get to. And it's June 16th to the 19th. So come one, come all. Unconventional minds wanted, I see you have on the website. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, that that <laughs> says it all, man. It's like we're doing an adult summer camping conference for people who are nomads, who are entrepreneurs, who are adventure seekers, who are travelers. And the, the part about this, Jay, as we kind of touched on when we talked about group travel is whether you're just starting out on this path, right? Whether you're listening to this podcast, you're like, man, I'm stuck in this regular job in this nine to five and I want to get out and I don't know how to do it. Or you're someone who's like, hey, I've been able to get out and I want to surround myself with other people who inspire and motivate me who are living this lifestyle as well, no matter where you are on that spectrum, where you are on that path, whether you want to get out or you've gotten out, this is why we created camp for all these people to come together and see that it is possible to continue to figure out what it is you want in life and then to go and achieve that because there's going to be people who are, who have been doing it longer, who have been doing it, uh, who have traveled more, right? Whose businesses are bigger, right? But they all started out having those same doubts, fears, you know, concerns of, hmm, I'm doing something a little different. And uh, maybe not a lot of people in my regular life get it or are doing it. Come to camp. You'll be surrounded by like-minded folks. You get to water ski. You'll get to do karaoke if you want. Although Jay, without Jay there rapping uh, this year, I don't know. Uh, someone else is going to have to come and hold down the mic. But 90s dance parties, just a whole lot of fun. And um, the biggest thing is, unlike other conferences, Jay, and this is why we created it this way, right, is that you don't just go and listen and just take it in, right? I'm going to sit here and someone's going to speak. I'm going to take it in. Like, this is an experience, right? You're going to get to be around these people. You're going to get to have s'mores with these people. You're going to get to do yoga and meditation with these people if you want. Um, you're really going to get to have an experience 
that ties it all together, that gives you something to move forward with versus just a learning experience that you might have at a typical conference. It's much more than that. Cool. Well, check it out, Trav. It was so fun to do this again. It had been too long. I mean, of course, we've been talking and hanging out in Bulgaria, but to get on the mics and record a pod again, what a blast. So thanks for uh, taking the time to do it, man. I appreciate it. It was fun to talk about the trip and to kind of relive it too. Yeah. Thank you for putting the trip together. It's always my pleasure. It's great to be back on the mic with you. You just give me a time and place. I'll always come back here, man. <laughs> thanks, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Thank you once again to Travis Sherry for not only taking the time to come on the pod and recap our trip, but also for all those snacks he brought me. (laughs) Thanks again, Trav, if you're listening. And also thanks for the hookup because Trav is giving you $150 off Camp Indie with the promo code ZERO, Z-E-R-O, if you go to CampIndy.com and you order a ticket. Z-E-R-O is the promo code that'll give you 150 bucks off exclusive to Zero to Travel podcast listeners. So there you go. Thanks again to Trav. Now, I want to leave you with a great quote to tie up this episode. But first, that one thing you should do if you're traveling with a big group and you're in charge of the itinerary, you're planning the trip, you're the one sort of leading the charge and creating the experience. I think this goes for most any experience. I would say the number one thing to do is make sure, well, I could say two things. I'll put this one at the top. One is make sure that you build in enough free time for people to chill out, have time for themselves, do things, unstructured time. I think that gets underutilized sometimes when people are planning events or trips or anything like this. Got to give people some free time to break loose and do their own thing. That is my number one tip for planning an experience. Do that and you'll be good. And of course, I think Good food. Anytime you have great food, if you make sure you have good food, everybody will be happy. The quickest way to a trip attendee's heart is through their stomach or something like that, right? So uh, there you go. A couple things to leave you with. And if you haven't gotten in touch, I do want to invite you to do so. Please drop me a voicemail. Let me know what's up. You can find the link to that voicemail box in the show notes. Very easy to do. And sign up for the newsletter. If you haven't done so, zerototravel.com slash newsletter goes out every week. Try to give you some helpful stuff. Okay, let me leave you with this quote to wrap up the episode from Amy Poehler, the wonderful comedian who said this, and I think this says it all. Find a group of people who challenge and inspire you. Spend a lot of time with them, and it will change your life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this listening community. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers and peace and love to you and yours. Thanks again. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 